Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 185. In this episode, we chat about the new targeting features in pop-up forms that we love, plus remember little bub. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot-focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and features, and strategies for growing your sales and marketing results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search Me Founder. With me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Well, I'm good. And I'm sad. I know. So I'm really happy about what we're going to talk about in HubSpot pop-up forms in a minute. But I'm also really sad, and this has nothing to do with marketing or HubSpot. As you know, I basically am a sucker for the cute little cats and puppies on Instagram. You are. And so we've talked about little Bub, who's this, well, was this such a cute little cat. We talk, we, we actually chatted about it on the show way back a couple of we years have. ago. You introduced me to little Bub. To little Bub, and I've been following her on Instagram. Anyway, she passed away on Sunday morning. And I was, I'm really sad about this. Yes. And it's kind of weird. I'm a grown man. I'm sad about some little cute cat on the other side of the world that I've never met, but I've kind of got to know through Instagram. So it's been the sad week and it's been a sad year, you know, because Boo, the world's, yeah, the world's cutest dog, who was just an adorable Pomeranian. Yes. He passed away in January and Grumpy Cat, of course, passed away in May. Yeah. And now little Bub has passed away in December. It's been a tough year. So lots to be thankful for, though, because little Bub contributed and like the impact that she had on the world. She raised more than $700,000 for... Animals in special needs and things like that. It's just been amazing. Which you think is pretty phenomenal for little bub. Like, I'm just amazed. Like, there'd not be many people on this planet that would raise that much money to help others. So, uh, yeah, look, uh, that that figure surprised me. So, you know what this highlights to me, Craig, is the impact you can have, no matter how big or small. Everybody has the ability to have an impact. We've got the tools in front of us, right? It's how we choose to use it. And little bub and Harona use the tools that they had, even what sometimes I would think would seem like a very dire situation. When you look at her and you think, my goodness, how could this happen or how could this be? She used what she had and her owner, smart guy, used what he had to to spread the message and make a difference to other to other animals. So, you know, we have a lot to learn from that. So, little bub, rest in peace, I say. All right, Craig, on to happier things. HubSpot marketing feature of the week. The only thing that I, I don't like is when they change the name lead forms to pop-up forms, which, of course, is a much better name. We all know that now. But That's right. Lead forms, I, we always used to say, what's the secret? What's the best marketing hit? Just get lead forms going. Just get pop-up forms well, that still is today. It still is today. It's it's pop-up forms all the way. And the reason I didn't like the name to change to pop-up forms is because I hate pop-ups. So I never use the pop-up in pop-up forms. I always use the slide-ins. Yes, and correct. And I never use exit intent. And I know study after study says that they convert so well and things like that. But I just hate them myself. So I don't mm-hmm. want to inflict them on others. But slide-ins I quite like. And so whenever I talk about pop-up forms, I'm only thinking of slide-ins. But what we're going to chat about applies to all, all forms of the, the pop-up forms. But this is extra targeting and this is so good. You know what blew me away? The yeah. specificity of the targeting. Well, let's explain what it is. So previously you could target, it's going to appear on this page, but not this page. You could Correct. do it on URLs and I think parameters and a few other things. But now you can do it on, well lists segmented lists so i'll give you the most 
obvious example. You show up form for an ebook or sign up offer, content offer. If they fill out the form, stop showing them the pop up, right? Because there's nothing more inefficient than going back and having the same offer shown to you over and over again when you've filled it out. And it's a bad user experience. So this extra set of targeting, which you're going to go through some of the more complex ones that can be implemented, but even the simplest one, segmented lists actually gives you a lot of power. And in fact, you can start creating funnels, really. You can have a top of the funnel offer. Exactly. And if they filled out that form, oh, don't show that pop-up. And in fact, if they have filled it out, show this next pop-up, which is the middle of the funnel. Oh, you know, the funnel's dead, by the way, Ian. It is So crazy. whatever the funnel's become. Anyway, you can, you can just have funnels of pop-up offers and it's going to be such a better user experience. And well, what, what are some of the other targeting options you're looking at? Okay, so look, let's, let's say in starter and possibly free, you will get two options, which is to do it via segmented lists or visitor if the visitor is a contact or is unknown. Okay. Now, when you go beyond that, so you've got to have marketing professional enterprise, here are the things that you can segment or you can behavior, you can segment by device type, browser language, country. Did they click a particular CTA day since they last visited? Have they viewed a particular form? What their session count is? Pages visited, referral URL, SEO topic and SEO topic history. Like, wow. Anyway, so those are all the options. But let's talk about what what you might want to do. You know, one of the really key things could be the number of sessions they've had. So how many times have they come back? So you might actually figure out that you might figure out based on the number of times they come back, if a particular offer hasn't worked, you could actually now take, give them another offer based on their number of visits. Didn't they have form views as well? So yes, you could almost show, correct. If you show a form a certain number of times, they still haven't converted. Yep, turn that one off. You know correct. the one I was thinking on session, uh, number of session counts? Yes. I would re- reward my loyal visitors. I'm, I'd almost like say, if you visit my site more than 100 times I will not show you any pop-ups. I will not show you any, any forms. I will respect that you are a loyal reader and I will not try to, you know, put you into form. Things like that uh, I think would be good. But also equally you could say, well, if you visit more than 100 times, you're very loyal. I'm going to give you an, a special offer that only you get for my loyal um, viewers and things like that. There's, yeah, just phenomenal. There's so much flexibility here. Yeah. So I am really excited about this. I think this is... Not only is it going to increase conversion rates for people that use it well, but it's actually just going to make it a better user experience. Because I'll give you the most common one. Whenever I go to the HubSpot blog, ping, exit intent, sign up for the blog. I mean, I've signed up for it. Why do you keep showing me? So uh, hopefully HubSpot Stop that will, from happening. Yeah, hopefully HubSpot will implement it on their own blog. I'm sure they will. But I was thinking, you know what the only thing that's missing really in HubSpot in terms of pop-ups? Yep. We are chatting about this before. I would like an option to do a pop-up form that's not a form. It's almost like a pop-up CTA. I'd like to slide CTAs in that don't necessarily have a form, but they could just be a banner that highlights something with maybe yes. a link, click through to okay. do something, something indiscreet, because I just love the slide in. And the other thing I'd like is the slide in an option to hide it again automatically after 30 seconds or a certain time. It's kind of like, yeah, show it. Oh, they haven't responded. Haven't done just Correct. slide it out of the yep. way. Yeah. So it's getting very, very um, sophisticated. sophisticated. So I'm really excited about it. This is the feature of the week. And I've already shared this. On, we I shared it with our team straight on the Slack. 
team, get onto this. Because this idea of just removing that aggravation for people, we're rolling this out to all our clients. This will be just almost in the checklist for every site. This will just be it. I think you get some major quick wins out of this, Craig. If you actually have a strategy on how to use the forms effectively based on what people are doing and where they're at. Thank you, HubSpot. All right, Craig, on to our HubSpot sales feature of the week. Now you can put comments on notes, calls, and meetings in CRM. So I think this is really good. Uh, it's the little things that add up to big things over time. It's almost like we should have a, an episode called Increments, where <laughs> incremental changes. This is another one. So we are finding in our team that we are tending to put more stuff on in HubSpot and between the team just tagging each other to note it, especially around deals. But also, oh, did I mention to you how, how Kylie is using deals? Did I tell you about this? Normally, you know, a deal stage, uh, what do you call it? Pipeline stages. Yes, correct. They finish at either closed one or closed yes. last. Yep. She's added some stages at the end. After they've won, there's like a stage that is now have access to the site and invoice has been paid. It's around account management. Yes. So she has some extra steps. Now they count as actually closed one stages. So there's multiple. Yeah. But she's actually using her board view. To go, right, we've got this client, sure, the deal was won, but now we know they've been invoiced and that we have access to their site. So then, because she's account managing, she goes, right, then the project can start. So that she's managed that from HubSpot. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And so you can see why commenting and tagging is, is that's a natural for it. By the way, I'd love to see some, surely HubSpot is thinking of this in future, where deals will naturally extend to a project Yes. It's almost that's the next step Correct. and a way to track it. It's almost like deal extensions. So anyway, I've totally gone off track, but that's a good use case where we're finding this tagging and commenting on things is really useful. Right. So there we go. We've got that and we've got another one where they've got priority on tasks now. And when you look in the priority queue, it's either no priority or high priority, Craig. There's nothing in between. Which is rather interesting. So interesting design decision. Do you reckon they initially had high Medium, medium, low, and then someone said, that's too confusing. It's just high or it's not high. Correct. Come on. It's that's either right. high or not. I think that's probably a good call if that if that's the case. Seems like an odd call, but it's a good one. All right. HubSpot Extra of the Week, Craig, using lists to fix workflow issues. We might expand on this in a future episode, but I think it's a good blog post on the HubSpot blog, just highlighting a few, firstly, the issues that sometimes happen in workflows. People go into workflows, they don't receive emails. They go into workflows, oh, they get pushed out. You can use lists to kind of just report across that and what's Correct. happened, things like that. So check out that blog post for a few examples. And again, a reminder of just how awesome workflows are, yet also the power can be uh, complex. And so sometimes That's right. digging into what's gone wrong or not as expected can be complex, but lists are part of the solution. That's right. I've had one of those this week which I got to the bottom of, but took me a little bit of time. Oh, and how did you get to the bottom of it? Looking at the workflow history. Yeah. And, and actually it was a timing issue because people were entering a workflow and being held in a delay while another workflow executed. Ah, were these nested workflows? Were they? No, they weren't nested. So it was an interesting scenario. So I had to track it back. And it's all because of a sequence of events the user took that I didn't think would happen. Why can't users just do what we want? <laughs> just go down this straight path with no deviations, right? But you know what? That was good. 
taught us something else. All right, Craig, on to the HubSpot gotcha of the week. And this is to do with the ads add-on within HubSpot. Yeah, so this is a reminder. This has been a gotcha of the week before. It has. Uh, I can't remember. It might have been 20 episodes ago. But when you're using the ads add-on and you go and you look at your campaigns and you're running. So I had this yesterday with a client. It's happened again. So when you're looking at all the campaigns that are running, you kind of see across the top a summary and almost ROI, and then you see a list of the campaigns. What I'm finding, and I think this is intuitive, this is what you'd expect, is people click that tick box, that's that slider, they tick it on or off, expecting yes. that to re- be reflected in the totals above. Yes. So got these campaigns, oh, no, no, I'll just hide that one from the reporting list. So they tick it off, and quite often all you're showing is the active campaigns. Correct. So your view is only filtered on the active. So you go, oh, yeah, I'll turn that one off, and it disappears out of view. And you go, oh, hang on, numbers didn't update. Oh, that's weird. Anyway, you go on your merry way. No, that you tick just box, turned off the campaign. That, it's turned off the campaign. I think it's a really bad UI yes. choice. Correct. Because people are shocked when I go, and no. It's not, and it's not clearly marked. It's not clear. And you're going, oh, right, you've turned off the campaign. I had no idea. Because then you don't see the campaign. It doesn't even stick around to Correct. show that it's turned off because by default, as I said, you're filtering just on active campaign. It's like, wow, that's a, that's a gotcha. So then people are going, hang on, it's campaigns. I never turned this Well, off. you know what was interesting? I had a customer today tell me, their filtered view was everything that was active and what's the other status? Well, you can be paused or you can be in draft. Yeah, so it must have been paused, right? So they, I, I, that's right. They were paused because I paused it because there was an issue with some of the tracking that someone had done. Anyway, they said, oh, look, I can see this issue here. Can I just delete this out, out of here? I'm like, no, you can't delete anything. I said, but just change the status at the top to only see what's active and then you'll just see what's running. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's so much better. So, you know, I can just see the confusion on here. Like when people go, I don't want to see that. And they think, oh, yeah, I'll just push that. <laughs> I'll just toggle that switch. Yeah. And away I, we I go. I actually think they're going to have, because they're increasingly putting more ad management features into the ads add on. You know, I think they released one for LinkedIn. Yes. Lead ads lead that lead you ads. can create from HubSpot now. And I'm like, well, HubSpot must have the telemetry that says people are using it for that. But we tell all our clients don't use the ads add-on for managing and creating ads, only do it for reporting because most of our clients are bigger corporate. So we're like, no, do that on the actual platforms themselves, but then just use HubSpot as a reporting. When that's their mindset, it's like, well, and they're only doing it for reporting, that's when this user interface gets in the way. It's like, oh, well, if it's just for reporting. So it's hard. I think HubSpot's got to do some more work on the user interface to be really clear about what's management versus just reporting. Yeah, that's right. Because when you think about what we have in Google, for example, or we have in Facebook, like it's really clear, like it looks like a pause button and it looks like a green. Like there is nothing, whereas this just looks like I'm toggling something on and off, which could be I'm trying to get this out of my view. And that's how it happens. Here's a little second gotcha. I had a customer, as we were doing setup, I said, oh, why don't you just connect your Facebook account in with, into HubSpot? So they did that. Anyway, I proceeded to create uh after i left their office i proceeded to create a lead ad and i couldn't it was grayed out so the person that connects the facebook ad account is the only person that can create a facebook lead ad from within hubspot did you know that i didn't know that however i i've run into issues with lead ads before because i don't know if it's still the case but you couldn't share them even on the facebook platform so you'd create it 
actually, no, I'm thinking of LinkedIn. You, you'd create it, but then no, anyone else that had access to the ad account, they couldn't they see the ones you've got. I'm like, what is lead, what are lead forms? And the other problem, I guess, with Facebook, I don't know if they've overcome this yet, you can't edit your existing uh, lead forms. That's right. You can't do that. And I can understand why they do it because maybe changing fields affects a whole bunch of things and the measurement and stuff like that. But they're very rigid. So I suspect there's something like that that flows through to permissions Yeah, as well. I suspect that like it's obviously verifying a user that's connected the account. So it, like, for example, if I've connected and then I ask you to create the lead ad, you won't be able to. It's just grayed out. I'm going to guess that that's a Facebook limitation, not a HubSpot limitation. Marketing tip of the week, Craig. And this was a blog post from HubSpot. And what caught my attention was I have I had people ask me this week, oh, what's a good time to send an email, right? Now, we have spoken about this over time. We've looked at different research reports we've put out. Anyway, one popped up in a HubSpot blog post that said, you know, here's what we found about the best time to send email. So I clicked it. And here was the title, the best time to send an email. And in parentheses, it says research base. I thought, okay, that's really interesting. Let's read more about this. And so I'm going to now share what, what they found. And then I'll ask, pose the question about asking you, why do you think this is the case? It said in general, the highest click to open rates are 10 a.m. at 21%, 1 p.m. at 22.5% and have seen a spike at near... 6 p.m. The data reflects when most audiences begin or conclude their day and have the most time to check their emails. Now, one question to me here said so these numbers are from GetResponse, which is an email marketing tool that has combined its data to compile a report of email marketing benchmarks. They analyzed 4 billion emails from 1,000 active senders. You know what? This raised a red flag to me. I went, hang on a second. That's a lot of lot of emails from a thousand senders, right? And then I thought, hang on, why did HubSpot not use the data from their own email marketing system to create this report or this, this well, research? Well, this is very weird. Um, yeah, first of all, four billion emails from a thousand senders. I think there's some zeros missing somewhere. Yes. I have to check, but if they said four billion emails from a million, million senders, then I'm like, oh, okay, they're probably numbers. Let's assume that's a typo, yes. but it's very weird. But your question is, why are they using GetResponse data than, rather than their own? I'm like, yeah, what is going on here? Yeah. So like, uh, not that that means that the results or the, the findings aren't relevant or useful. We should definitely, but I'm genuine, genuinely intrigued. Why are they using GetResponse data? I'd love to know. Yes, so here I am, really perplexed. Anyway, we'll I, I don't think I have a solution. <laughs> you'll you'll remain perplexed, as am I. But those times are interesting, aren't they? They are interesting. Those, they're, they're like the um, the click to open rate. So those, just in case listeners were thinking, oh, the highest is twenty one percent. That's not open rate. That's click to open rate. Correct. So did they actually mention what the open rates were as well? I'm assuming they were. Much, yes, they did. Much higher than so, that. So, okay, I'll tell you. And so they got the open, they actually got open rates from uh, something that Campaign Monitor had collected. So now we're talking a different email marketing system. What is right? going on? <laughs> and I'll read this to you. So it says uh, the best data sent through an email and Campaign Monitor collected data from millions of emails used on their service. They put together the best days to, that pertains to data collection. 
All right. The best day for the highest email open rates at 18.6% is Thursday. Well, look, the other thing that I want to mention is take all of this with a grain of salt, do your own test and measure. We've, we've chatted about this on the, on, on the show before because I think take these as a guide for maybe where you start your testing. Sorry. Yeah. But <clears throat> always just – so how do, you, how do you try and – there are so many variables. So, for, for example, if you've got a terrible subject line, it doesn't oh, matter yeah. when you send exactly. it, right? It ain't going to get – you got a great <laughs> subject line, oh, it probably will get open. If it's relevant, we've always talked about relevance. Correct. If it's relevant, people will open it and look forward to it and yes. read it. If it's not, they won't. So it doesn't matter when you send it, really. So this is why I'm kind of dubious. And I think test and measure in your own company. You, you might take benchmarks across an industry as just a bit of a guide to start, but you've got to test this yourself. You're absolutely right there, Craig. I, I remember when we used to deal with different businesses and a lot of the businesses that were that we used to send email marketing to, they were dealing with tradies. And so we'd often send it specifically at times when they had their breaks because we discovered that that's the time that they're really open to, you know, they, they're eating something or smoking that's something. That's a great that's insight. When yeah. So that's when we targeted them, right? Right. Now, if you if you'd told me that and said, oh, no, we should send it at the first, you know, on a Thursday at this time, I'd be like, why? You know, the other thing that this doesn't account for, high intent. Yes. Because I would like to see this go through. What actually, what were the clicks or what were the opens and then the clicks and then the form submits that then went into a deal that ended up in revenue? We've discussed this before. I've got a, I've got a hunch that a lot of that starts on a Sunday evening. Correct. People are like, oh, they're getting ready for the week. So you prime them with something like, oh, yeah, I've got that. Yeah, I'll fill that in because I'm going to chat with them this week. But the open rate might be low and the click rate might be low, but the intent rate might be high. How do you test for that? Well, you've got to have huge data sets and apparently you've got to go to other email platforms. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. I don't know whether that's provide you any insights, but let's, let's talk about that. All right, Craig, now onto our insights of the week. Is advertising the new dot-com bubble? Speaking of test and measure, this is a good segue because this is an article in The Correspondent and you should go and read this because what they're looking at is, is it worth paying for advertising, especially on things like your brand? And this article is good and bad. It's good because it raises the question as, well, you've got a test, but are you testing the right things? And so they give this great example of someone was testing whether you use coupons. This was an offline test, but it relates to online. They were a pizza shop and they were testing whether coupons would drive more sales. And so this is a bit of one of these apocryphal stories. I don't know if it's true or it probably has some grain truth, but the three uh, guys go out and they're handing out their voucher coupons. It's like, oh, wow. One of these guys is really, like he's really successful. Who is he targeting? Where is he getting them, right? Because the rate of people using that coupon was really high. Anyway, so if you didn't do the analysis, you go, right, well, that person's a star or that offer was really good. Anyway, they asked me and said, oh, so what have you been doing? So it's, oh, I just stand in the line in the pizza store and give them while they're queuing up to order, right? <laughs> so you can see the point. It's like, well, obviously they were going to buy anyway, right? So take that simple example, which yes. may or may not be true. And apply it to your test. So Correct. what the article raises is, well, if people did have the intent to buy, yes, did showing them an ad really need to be, or were you just burning money because they were going to buy anyway? So obviously it's a lot more complex. People have multiple touches and all that kind of thing. This article talks about that. So then 
you've got to take that and try and work out, well, are we just retargeting people that we're going to buy? What, is it all out campaigns, all these things? So I don't have answers for you because it's complex, but the action item is to think about this, to start thinking, test and measure. Now, that's the good part of the article. The bad part of the article is some of the conclusions they arrive at are based on studies and testing from 2012. Oh, wow. Which is like, that's an eternity ago in online advertising. So yes. they're like eBay did this study and they found eBay didn't want to bid on their brand, you know, and Google, you bid yes, on your brand. Correct. And I think by now everyone knows they probably should. But five years ago, they were like, oh, should we be bidding on our brand? And so they stopped and all that went to organic. So they're like, oh, we don't need to bid on our brand. Now, that was a great result for them. But of course, you should keep testing that because as we know, the, the Google results are not as simple as they were then. So when they throw in those kind of findings, you know, six years later or whatever, seven years later, and use it to drive a conclusion that perhaps advertising is a waste of money, that's where I, I fall down. So go into this article thoughtfully, the action item and the takeaway is to test and measure, as we always say. Mm. I mean, it is true. Like I shared a, a search result I got the other day with you and I wasn't even looking. So listeners, I searched for, I was looking at a particular fitness tracker and I just, I was trying to recall who I, I heard it on a podcast. I think that somebody interviewed this particular person. They spoke about how they manage their life and the things that they do to keep themselves at an optimal level, right? So I thought, oh, I just want to check this out. Anyway, so I was racking my brain to figure out. And so I just thought maybe one of the podcasts I listened to, I typed in that person's name with fitness tracker after it. And the result I got back, I was like, I have never seen this before, which was basically a video and had all the major key points in that video in like a timeline that you could kind of sift your way through and then just had videos below. There was no text result or ad anywhere on that what I could see on the page initially, right? And I was blown away. So I took a screenshot and sent it to you, Craig. So it just it just shows to me that what we know about search results has totally changed in what we're seeing happen on a device when people are browsing. So there, there you have it. I think just test and measure and be aware of what's going on. Now, Craig, you've got a throwback of the week. I thought this would be interesting. Also along this line of increments, let's throw back each week and say, what was HubSpot announcing 12, 12 months. months ago? And you know what they were announcing 12 months ago? Content partitioning. Content partitioning was this new thing that they were rolling out. Yes. Raw, you know, queue to today and it's all across the platform and, and still getting better. So content partitioning, we're all hanging out for it. And I think this came just on the heels of inbound at the time. It so. was, correct. All right, resource of the week, Craig. And this is something I discovered. Somebody showed this to me this week. It's a YouTube video, so I'd recommend people watch it. We'll probably share the link on... Uh, and were you watching it ad-free, Ian? Well, it was ad-free <laughs> when I started. It was, and it's called the domino chain reaction. Yeah, it just blew my mind away how from a domino that was probably like five millimeters high, they knocked over a domino that was... I think over a meter and a bit high. And so you just look at the scale of this tiny, they use tweezers, I think, to put it on the ground. So, so you, need, you need to just explain the setup. The point is when you have a row of dominoes, they all knock each other over, but you can increase 
each time the size of the domino. Times. So it increases by 50% each time. That's and you're right. basically saying, and I think in the video showed there was like 13 steps from this tiny little thing that he started with tweezers Correct. into it going clack, 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 and knocking over a meter That's tall right. one. It was, yeah, quite, quite amazing. And then when you get to 29, you can knock over the Empire State Building apparently. Just, I, I was just, it blew me away to show you the power of something so small can gain momentum and do something so big. A bit like Little Bub. There you go. All right, quote of the week, Craig. And this is from Larry Page. We should be building great things that don't exist. Now, why have you chosen a Larry Page quote for today? Well, I chose a Larry Page quote. It was going to be Larry or Sergey because they just um, stepped down from the head of Alphabet and they've let, is it Sundar? Picture? Yeah. Take over. So I thought, I thought that was a pretty momentous, momentous occasion. And I thought, here we are. Anything else, Craig? I think that's it. We'd love you to leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts and anywhere you listen to this podcast. And we always love it when people email us and actually say that they've learned something or just to say hi. And as we head towards the end of this year, we want to thank you. Thank everybody for listening, being a part of the journey and supporting us over the last four years. And we hope you have a great holiday. Well, Craig, until next time. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes and the latest HubSpot news and tips, please visit us at hubshots.com.